Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Hello there Matt, how are you? Yeah, busy as always. Good to see Dubbo pumping along. Isn't it just? Busy. Obviously Christmas coming up means that things are busier and seem busier Mm. and I'm convinced in society, if we did not have deadlines, nothing would happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're spot on, absolutely. And Christmas, of all the deadlines, Christmas yes. is the ultimate deadline. That's so right, that's it. For whatever reason, whatever you're doing, whether it's buying a new pair of shoes or getting house renovations done or whatever, it's got to get it done before Christmas. Yes. Why? Well, because it's a convenient date to say I've got to get done by. I've never been able to work out why sometimes. But I think it also works better too when we give it a bit of a title, you know, like uh, work towards a deadline title, Christmas, Black Friday, all these sort of wonderful things that are out there right now. Put all these different dates in there to work towards. So that's fine. If that's what works for people, that's what works yes, for people. Yes, yes. So well, anyway, it makes it busy just in general, but also yeah. there are some Christmas functions on that type of thing that you've got to go to as well. So ah, it's a season to be jolly and to be poor. There it is, spending all that money. It's <laughs> wonderful to see, though, keeping the community rolling on. Indeed. All right, buddy, let's go. Uh, straight into today. Now, speaking of community, uh, during the week, you had the pleasure of uh, giving out some of the the Community Services Fund, another uh, type of funds here. So council was playing Santa Claus during the week and giving out money to uh, worthy recipients, I'd suggest. Tis the season, isn't it? Tis the season. There it is. Speaking of Santa, there it is. That's right. So we've got three different funds that we presented these checks for. There's the Community Services Fund, there's also the Destination Events Fund and the Community Events Fund, and I'll get right. to the three differences there in a moment. But it is one of those nice things that we've made the decision at Council to give the money to these different organisations. They've gone through an application process, etc. Yep. And so we make the final Council resolution, we give them the money. These days it goes into their bank account. We don't give them a cheque anymore, yep. but of course we've got the novelty cheque. The, the big cheque has got to be part of the whole equation, surely. I'd love to see someone go into the bank with that cheque and try and, <laughs> try and deposit that. <laughs> but you're right, we still have to do that from a, a photography or yes. a, a showpiece perspective. But what I do is I actually put them on the spot. I love to find out why, what, how, just a bit of the background. Sure, mm. we've read the application, but it's just nice hearing from these people. And what I do love is... We just seem to get a lot more from these people than the money that mm. is given to them. And so mm. I'm talking about organisations that are getting maybe $1,000, maybe a few thousand dollars. We've got some we give a little bit more to, but they just seem to do a lot more with the money than we could possibly think mm. of doing. So mm. I've got to be careful. I'm going to pull out a couple of examples. That yeah. I, that well, let's go through a few. Let's look at the community services fund first then. So right. who, uh, so who got some of the money with that? There's $150,000 we give out for that a year. Right. We do it in two separate groups, $75,000 Twice a year. Yep. This one ended up being a bit more than 75 because we had a bit of rollover. So sometimes it doesn't work and it'd be exactly 75. Mm. But to give you an idea, for example, Dubbo Rivercare Group got $1,856 and that was to purchase some additional equipment but also to do some volunteer training. Now, what Dubbo Rivercare Group does is fantastic. Mm. They do look after the river, mm. they do mm. clean up things along the river. There's no way we could possibly do what they do for anywhere near the amount of money that yep. we would have to spend in terms of council wages if we we're doing it from that perspective. But they've got volunteers, they've got people that are keen to go down and doing some things like that mm. volunteer training, I think, obviously makes a, a huge difference. Absolutely. There. So, well, there's some good value for money add on there, isn't there? Exactly right. Now, we also gave $993.89. 89 cents? Yep, to okay. Arana Education and Training Cooperative. Yeah. And that's for their community garden. So, down there on McCoy oh, yes, Street, you've yes. got the community garden. Yep. And people can release or rent a plot down there and they can tend to that and they can grow whatever veggies or whatever things they want to grow in that plot. But Mm. there's obviously work that needs to be done. You've got to keep it maintained. You've Mm. got to run it. And obviously you want to make it as cheap as possible for the community members. So again, 
what they do down there I think is fantastic. Mm. And I think there's a lot of discussions that happen down there. I know when I ride my bike down yes. that way, I see people gathered around there doing do. things. And it's a very social little moment of spotting, isn't it? That's it a, is. Yeah. That's right. And I think that's fantastic from that perspective as well. So we've got then some large amounts. For example, Arana Arts got $15,556. Right. And that was for their Kumo Taiko. I hope I pronounced that right. right. Projects. That's the drums, if you like. So these well, are they're the, going out to buy some more drums, are they? Or? Well, it's more about instruction in this oh, scenario. Okay. So we, we talked about the fact that this is a helps us be closely linked to Japan. Yes. Some of the drums we've got there have been donations from our sister city, Minakamo, in yep. Japan, so that's nice. But instructors and getting the high-level instructors to get that drumming technique mm. right and to get those skills right, mm. they're often people from Sydney and they'll do Zoom calls to help them with the drumming and then yep. sometimes they'll come out to Dubbo. Okay. It's a great little group, actually, and they've performed at different events that we've had from the council, especially when yes, our absolutely. Japanese delegation is here. Yes, yes. And we've seen that there was one event that, I, that sticks in my mind that – we had the drummers there, and these are all younger people that are doing this. Mm. And so we had them there, and they were doing a demonstration. And we said, as a little bit of a joke, not sure if they would take us up on it, to the delegation, does anyone want to have a go on the drums now? And that might have been a polite thing to say, and they went, oh, no, yep. thanks very much. Yep. But a couple of them did, and wow, they were, were good. Yes, yes. <laughs> they were good, yeah. <laughs> so they're all dressed up as a formal occasion. And right, they've right. kind of hitched you know, one of the ladies, I remember, she kind of hitched her skirt up ready to go and she's got in the she position She's like, I'm the in the groove now. Where Absolutely. Drums? She was into it. So <laughs> we went, wow. We, we were yeah, kind of yeah, being polite. But wow, that was fantastic. Yep. So that was nice as well. I don't want to go through all of no, them because no. obviously there were, there were lots there. But thank you on behalf of the community for yeah. all those different groups that are involved in the community and they do turn our small amount of money into a large amount. Destination Events Fund, yes. this is $30,000 we gave out. So, so, so the distinction between the two different funds, can you just go through that for us? Yeah, so the Community Services Fund is really just about community groups doing something good in the community. Mm. Probably they've got volunteers involved. I'd say just about all of them I could think of would have had volunteers. They're really just making the community a better place, whether it be with drumming or whether it be with community gardens, mm. whatever it might be. Mm. Destination Events Fund are funds that are going to bring people to Dubbo. Okay. inject money into the economy, and they might need a bit of money to help them with some advertising or help them get out there and, and make that a better event yep. to inject money into the economy. So $30,000 we've got for this. And yeah. I will run through these ones because there's fewer in number. Mm. We've got the Great Australian Stone Festival. So that's an event. It's not the about drugs. Australian okay, Australian it's, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not stoned. <laughs> <laughs> Is this like a skimming stone festival? Like what, is a, what is this one? No, and, and I, I won't talk in great detail about yeah. all these, but this one I will because yeah. it sounds actually, fascinating. I've, I've never heard of it. There's a, a lady in Wellington who makes drywall. So right. when you want a stone wall made, yes. you can do it with very old techniques mm. that are – drywall techniques so no binding agents no mortar no mud yeah, you right. put a wall together where you just get the stones to interact and lock with each other using gravity and friction to hold it together sounds like all those walls over in england when you're driving around you've hit the nail on the head now yeah. there are 22 masters of drywalling right. in the world it's right there's a lady in wellington who will be hopefully getting her masters in drywalling in march next wow. year i didn't realize there was even a university that gave out masters in drywalling apparently there is yeah, and wow. to be judged you've got to have two other masters come along wow. and judge you so she's got two masters coming in march next year sounds like martial arts sort of thing you know like it it's probably a, is a bit like got that a sort of that that whole sort of feel about it yeah uh, you're right and so 
she decided rather than just go and get her masters and go to one of these masters, she thought she'd create an event out of it. Right. So hence the Great Australian Stone Festival is, right. has been born. I shouldn't laugh, but whereabouts is it going to be held at? Well, around different parts in Wellington. Some right. of it just out towards Mount Arthur. If you're going out towards Mount Arthur, towards the showground out yeah. there, that'll be probably the main part of it. But yeah. what she's keen to do is to actually build some temporary stone I'm not sure what they're called, sculptures, oh. but stone things okay. at different places in Wellington as part of the Stone Festival because you've got these masters there. Yeah. Take advantage of yeah. them. Yeah. So anyway, oh, fascinating. That's, okay. that's an event that that's will bring event people. Got. Okay, cool. That will bring people. So $3,000 for that. Burundong Easter Fishing Classic, 5000 mm-hmm. Stock Root Music Festival, 5000 Dubbo Steadford for next year, 5000 Dubbo Winter Whiskey Festival, 3000 Oh, I could Motorfest. line up for that one. That sounds yeah. all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I went along to that one this year, and it was quite good. Good. Dubbo Motorfest, 5000 and Cross-Cultural Carnival for next year, 4000 Okay. So they're all events that will bring people to Dubbo, mm. and they had to justify and demonstrate they would do that. So again, for our few thousand dollars that we put into it from the community perspective, yeah, yeah. then we hope it will generate a lot more than that. And those all have got, I think, absolutely will bring lots of people yeah, to absolutely. it. absolutely. And then the next one we have is the Community Events Fund. Right. So and this is separate again to the other type of events focus. That's right. Now, this one's only $10,000 total across right. all of them. And these are ones that are nice events for the community. Hmm. Some people might come along and visit them, but hmm. their focus is really about doing things for the community rather than trying to attract people from all over the okay. state or over yeah, the world. Right, okay. So they don't have to justify it to the same extent mm. around bringing people to the community. It's really about doing things for the community. Okay. Give me and an example of who received some funding yeah, on that one. So Stuart Town Multicultural Festival, $1,300. Man from Ironbark Festival, oh, again, yes. in Stuart Town, $1,300. Yes. The 148th Annual Wellington Show, $2,200. Wellington Rotary Vintage Fair, $1,400. Now, that's a big event, the Vintage mm. Fair. Mm. I think people do that's travel. That's steam train, wasn't it, you tell me about before. Absolutely right. Yeah. And I think people travel, but probably not from that far. They probably mm. travel from a, a smaller area there. So you've got different ones like that. Uh, Oriscon Harmony Week Gala Night. Yeah. So they're still all great events, but they're probably not going to bring mm. hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars to our community but through But great these for events. the community. Exactly right, yeah. great for the community. So, yeah, yeah $10,000 was given out of those. So you're right. Council was playing Santa Claus, yeah. but I think here all of these organisations they have to have a good project first. They've got to have a good application process. If they receive previous funds, they have to have acquitted those previous funds, yep. so they spent them in the right way. So it's a it's a process I think that you go through. That's a fair, open process, mm. but it also gives the opportunity for these groups to get some of this funding. That's oh, wonderful. Now, speaking of all things wonderful, Double Day Awards. Now, uh, here's another wonderful event that occurred during the week, I'd suggest for you, Matt, uh, to go and to meet uh, some of these wonderful Dubbo uh, people out there who are really contributing to the community on a regular basis. Um, And it sounds like during the week they've been recognised. So talk us through it. One of the things, if you're not feeling great about yourself or about society, or even if you are feeling great about it, if you want to go to an uplifting ceremony, go to something like a Dubbo Day Award or a citizenship ceremony, The mood in the room is so positive. Isn't that wonderful? And with the Dubbo Day Awards, so we gave out 10, and I will actually run through their names in a moment, but we gave out 10 awards, nine Dubbo Day Awards, one Tony McGrain Award, Mm. and obviously you've got people that are contributing to the community, so that's fantastic. You've got some of their friends or family or supporters that are really supportive. Some of those might have nominated these people. Mm. So you've got people that are doing great things. You've got people that are supporting these people doing great things. Yep. And then you've got some councillors and some former councillors come along as well. So you've got a room it's for a feel people. It's a feel-good event. Oh, yeah. it is a really good feel-good event. 
when and I had the pleasure of reading out the reason that each of these people have won this award or been recognised. And even doing that, people in the room, you hear a few groans and gasps from people going, oh my gosh, the people, and more, but wait, there's more. And I typically find with these volunteers, they're not involved in one organisation. They're typically involved in multiple organisations. And one person who was on the committee, the judging committee, she came up to me afterwards and she goes, oh, I don't feel like I'm doing enough in Dubbo. And and this person does do some good volunteering work. I've listened to some of those. She goes, I'm a bit tired listening to them, but I... I've got to pick up my act. I've got to do more for Dubbo because look what they've done. What's the, what's the great line they talk about there with, uh, if you want a job done, ask a busy person? Correct. And that's exactly, the, that was mm. made, mentioned a couple of times. In fact, even in one of the citations, was it? that was mentioned in there. Yeah. So I'll run through very quickly the different people and I, I won't, in terms of the time we have, I don't have no, time no, but to it's go always through. good sort of, uh, to recognise them publicly like this. That's it's right. Great. And I won't go through all the things they've been involved with, but anyone mm. that knows these people knows Definitely what they've been involved with. So we've got Tim Morris picked up a Dubbo Day Award, Jared Allen, Mazarat Khan, Janet Stewart, Deborah Davis, Trish Gosper, Carmel Carolyn, and Mr. and Mrs. Singh. And oh. I've got their proper names here in front yes. of me, but Mr. and Mrs. Singh I know from school. You would I've, know from I've, school I've as well. I used to work with both of them. Oh, there Wonderful you go. people. I was more thinking about when I was a student for both of them. <laughs> <laughs> They've been around for a long time. So they were the Dubbo Day Award winners. Mm. And then you also had... John Robbins. Now, oh, Johnny Robbins, the the um, chiropractor, not chiropractor, the uh, physiotherapist. Correct, that's right. Yes. Now he wasn't there, unfortunately. He's actually away. He's being. He's got his own um, treatment mm. he's having with cancer at the moment, and mm. so that's happening as we speak. So he wasn't there, unfortunately, on the day. Mm. Uh, it was certainly collected for him on his behalf. And when he's back in Dubbo, I did promise some of the people there that I'd go down to a park run one morning and present it to him in, in front of park run. But John, so the Tony Grant Award is a little bit different. All of those Dubbo Day Awards are given out to people that are volunteers. Yes. And one of the things that was recognised many years ago was that sometimes people in their paid employment, they do a lot more than they mm. have to do, than they should do, than they need to do. Mm. Gee, it'd be nice to be able to say something for them. But the Dubbo Day Awards are for volunteers. The Tony McGrain Award was born from that, mm. where recognising people that are in some sort of paid employment that links to what they're doing – but they're going way above what they mm. need to do. And so that's where John Robbins picked up that award as the Tony McGrain Award. And, of course, for people may well be aware that Tony McGrain was the mayor of Dubbo, 1991 yes. to yes. 1999, local state member from 99 to 2004, and unfortunately died way too young in mm. 2004. Mm. Hence this award named after the memory isn't of Tony McGrain. Isn't it wonderful, to, like a guy like John Robbins, who you would not meet a nicer man, would you? Like a, and, and a true gentleman, but also just a very gentle man. That's the thing I love about John. He's, yeah. he's, uh, you, you speak to him, there's this, he just resonates and oozes all this positivity. We talked about positivity before, but there's a wonderful sense of warmth that he uh, really creates and a hard worker, yeah. a hard worker indeed. And again, when I read out his citation, a hard worker in lots of different organisations, yeah. and that's that's the bottom line. I think that's what we see with all of these people. So yeah. it's a great day, 23rd of November, 1849. Of course, Dubbo was gazetted a village. Every year we celebrate that. Now, the whole Dubbo Day Award started mm. from 1999 when the sesquicentenary was celebrated. It's a great line. I, I love sesquicentenary. Just nice sort of word, it? It's a great word, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's yes. right. And in 1999, when that happened, there were community awards given out. Mm. They might have been called community service awards, but basically celebrating the great people. Mm. And it was then, as a subsequent process, they went, well, that worked well for one year. Why keep it to one year? Mm. Now, next year, of course... We've got to celebrate the demi sesquicentenary. Oh. 175 years. Is that, has it been 25 years since then? That's My right. God, I had to great. look up what 
a 175th anniversary yes. would give me, and the best chat GPT could come up with was Demi Sesquicentenary. <laughs> so, so I'm still struggling with the fact it's been 25 years since the Sesquicentenary. Mm. I remember walking in that parade and uh, with the kids at the time. and uh, doing You were still at school, obviously, 25 uh, years ago. I'd like to think, yes, well, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was only about 17 at the time, of course. <laughs> but that's 25 years since, my yeah, goodness. Almost, 24 years yeah, ago, yeah. I'm really technical about it. Yeah, yep. so I'm actually encouraging the community of Wellington to do something similar. Now, of course, mm. they were gazetted before we were. They were gazetted in April 1846. Oh. So they've got three years head start yeah, on Dubbo. Yeah, they do. That's it, of course, yeah. they discovered or, or settled in Wellington before Dubbo. Mm. And I'd love them to do uh, Wellington Day or maybe a Binjang Day or something yeah. similar to that because yeah. I think it is a very uplifting process. And mm. some people have questioned in the past, well, we get to the stage where there's no more people to give out these Double Day Awards to, but every year, oh. I mean, there's another 10 this Absolutely. year we gave them out to, every Absolutely. year there's enough there. There's plenty of great people out there who are really, really deserving. Now, speaking of really deserving, um, you're looking for nominations here for the Australia Day Awards. Now, this, of course, uh, is, is well, these are big awards, these ones. These are the big ones we give out every year on Australia Day. So... Talk us through this one, Matt. Um, how, how do people nominate people in our community uh, for the Australia Day Awards? And what particular areas of focus are we looking at for this year? So there's a few different ones, and I'll run them through for both the Dubbo and Wellington communities. And it's good on the back of the Dubbo Day Awards because sometimes some of those people in Dubbo Day Awards, we might suggest to some of those nominators that, have you thought about nominating this person for mm. an Australia Day Award? Yeah. And some of them do, and some of them do go on to win an Australia Day Award. So you go to our website, just go to the normal dubbo.nsw.gov.au and look in there and you'll find nomination forms in there. If you prefer a physical one, you can go into Visit Information Centre or one of the okay. council, like Dubbo Wellington, go into the council building there and they'll certainly print one out for you. In Dubbo, we've got these awards to give out. We've got the Citizen of the Year, the Senior Citizen of the Year, Young Citizen of the Year, so three Citizens mm. of the Year that are different age categories, yep. if you like, Sports Person of the Year, Young Sports Person of the Year, Services to Sports Awards, and Cultural Person of the Year. Okay. And those last two, I do remember in previous Dubbo City Council days when they were introduced, and both of those were interesting because there was one time there was a person who was nominated for Sports Person of the Year, and they weren't a sports person. Mm. They were an administrator. Mm. Done a fantastic job in helping promote their sport and, mm. in fact, a couple of different sports. But the committee sitting around saying, well, they're not a sports person. Mm. How can we give this person a sports person of the year award when they're not really a sports person? Mm. So that led to the whole idea of we should have services to sports yeah. because there's lots of people out there doing Which great work. Which is a big work. part of our community yeah, you know, and all right. those helpers out there. And all those people that are winning sports person of the year, well, at some stage someone's helped them. That's right. Yeah. A, you don't get to that award without having these other people behind you supporting you. Correct. And the cultural person of the year was a suggestion, I think it was made back many years ago by a group called Dubbo Arts. Mm -hmm. And they were saying you've got sports person, young sports person, and then service to sports. So you've got mm. three mm. awards focused on sports, but what about culture? Dubbo's mm. got some culture now. Can you have a cultural person of the year? So we introduced that as well. So there are all those different ones, all those different categories, and you'll see the exact requirements for mm. those different awards. It's going to say there'll be criteria they have to sort of meet. Correct. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Actually, a couple of interesting ones for you. Th mm. These have been good debates on committees. All right. One of them was a debate about a bodybuilder was bodybuilding a sport? Hmm. And that debate went for a long time. All I, won't right, talk okay. about, I won't talk about the answer of that because yep. that, this is all in these confidential discussions about different people. But yep. bodybuilding, it's not weightlifting. So weightlifting, you lift 150 kilos, mm. I went lift 155 kilos, so I beat you. So you mm. go, okay, well, weightlifting has got all the criteria for a sport. But bodybuilding, 
it's really you go and work hard to be a bodybuilder, but then it's really a fashion show to some extent. And this is part of the argument. Mm, there. I'm sure mm. I'm going to get it. Bodybuilders screaming you at me watch at the moment. I tell you, don't go mess with bodybuilders. <laughs> mate. Right. Seriously, like all the people pick on the featherweights. Don't go to heavyweights. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot of debate about whether or not bodybuilding would be classified as a sport because it's more on the look and the physique mm. more than actually what you're technically doing. She's going to leave that argument with you, I tell you now. Well, <laughs> but that argument had to be had because we had people that were yeah, up for yeah. awards. And the other one that we've had an argument about in the past was a jockey. Is oh. being a jockey yeah, a yeah. sports person? The mm. horse is doing the work, mm. not the jockey. But then if you said that, then you'd say, well, what about someone who rides motorbikes? Mm-hmm. You're yeah, yeah. not that's doing a racing car driver or whatever. That's yeah, right. Yeah. You're the, the other thing, the motorbike or the car is doing the work. Yes. You're not doing the work, but obviously your skill in terms of doing that. So mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. there's been some interesting okay. discussions and debates that I've been involved with. Yeah. They'd actually be good topics for school oh, debates, wouldn't oh, they? Oh, absolutely. You're talking yeah. about different criteria for debating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is right. weightlifting so, really a sport? Yeah. Well, no, weightlifting... Oh, sorry, is uh, bodybuilding. Bodybuilding, bodybuilding right. really a sport? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. So there's some interesting ones there. In Wellington, they're slightly different. And these are basically hangovers from the awards that used to be given out for the old Wellington Shire mm. Council and the old Dubbo City Council. There's probably an argument that we should standardise these and have them the same across both communities. But in Wellington, you've got Citizen of the Year... Senior Citizen of the Year, Young Citizen of the Year, so the same as Dubbo. You've also got Sports Person of the Year and Young Sports Person of the Year, so those same two. You don't have the services to sports or the cultural person, but what you do have is Community Event of the Year and Community Service slash Achievement Award. Right. So slightly different there. And again, there was one that was given out in a previous year, which it actually might have been this year's awards, that was the Canteen for the Wellington of Stedford. Right. That won the Community Event of the Year Award. The Canteen did. The Canteen did. Okay. So I know you've got that confusing look on your face. <laughs> and you and look, that was great debate <laughs> on the committee that said, well, is the Canteen the event or is the Estead mm. for the event? Mm. And Which the is canteen, exactly my thoughts. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The Canteen hangs off the Estead. So that yeah. debate went on for a long period of time and still goes on today because oh I, I know we still talk about it from time to time. <laughs> but bottom line is we've got these great awards mm. and – on Australia Day, as part of the event of Australia Day, these awards are given out, and it's absolutely fantastic again, hearing what these people have done, seeing them collect the awards, yep. huge amount of pride there, and a very uplifting experience. So absolutely. I'd encourage people, if you know anyone that might be applicable for any of those, please go and get your nominations in. It's a fairly simple process, but having said that, the more information you give us, mm. the better. Mm. Some people send an inf- a nomination in, they go... Give it to Billy Bloggs. He's great. You know all the work he's done. Mm. Well, we don't. Mm. We've got to have that information. Absolutely. More than that. Put the detail in, yeah. We give out a lovely big certificate and a citation associated with that. So we want to be able to have as much information. We don't want to miss something that they've been involved with. And look, my advice to that is take the time in filling out the application. Give yourself time to do it so you do a really good job. I'm at... uh Last Friday when I uh, I flew back in from Sydney, I noticed the fact that uh, your car was uh, sitting there in the pole position, uh, ready to take off uh, as well in the secured car parking area out there. So you've obviously been in Sydney during the week, and it looks as though you've been down there for the country mayor's meeting. So was that last Friday you went down there for that? Correct, and I was actually only there uh, one day, so I just flew down. If there's a meeting there, I'd try and fly down that morning and back that night, save the night of accommodation. Yep. Just means I get up early, and big deal, but also this Oh, that's week, why you got the pole position then, obviously. You that's right, all there. early. That's, that's exactly right, yep. But also this week we had council meetings on Thursday night, so I wouldn't have had the opportunity to fly down the night before. Yep. So, yes, we had country mayors. Country mayors has got, off the top of my head, 76 members in country mayors. So okay. that's basically 
the various councils that are in regional areas, so mm. not Sydney City Council, not Parramatta Council, for example. Mm. We've got regional You've got to be a areas. Country. Well, yeah, yeah and, be a country and, town or country city, yeah, yeah, and I think country mayors probably started off as a bit smaller, where it probably didn't have some of the larger cities like Dubbo in it. I don't know the exact mm. history of country mayors, but it's certainly grown a little bit over the time. Mm. But it's a good opportunity. They're typically one day meetings and typically held at Parliament House. Although we did make a decision that this country mayors to take a couple out okay. to regional areas, yep. but they're at Parliament House and they're done in a sitting week. So we've got an opportunity to get some of the polys there to come along and talk yeah. to us. And did you get some good polys this year. Or? We we did, or this yeah. time, this not, time, not yeah. Just like things to discuss in general terms, there's mm. a, a few things it might discuss in big picture, but you also want to get some police to come along and talk to us to see where things are up to and, and then a bit of Q&A with them. But also, mm. as with any of these events, then you sit around and talk about different things with, with different people mm. that are involved there. Mm. So this one, we had the Premier come along. Oh, wow. Now, Does he I, normally turn up? Well, I don't remember any Premier for many years turning up to country mayors. Oh, wow. And I was trying to think about it on the day, well, this is good, Chris Minns has come along. I don't remember yeah. Dominic coming along. I don't remember Gladys coming along. So I, I struggled, But mm. and apologies to, to previous premiers if they if came they on recently. So, yes. I mightn't make it to every single country mayor's yeah, meeting, yeah. but it was good to have the premier there. Yeah. It did point out to me, listening to the short presentation he gave and then took questions from the audience, it did point out to me the real divide between city and regional areas. Okay, how's that? He did talk about a number of things, and, and don't get me wrong, yeah. I, I've got a lot of time and respect for Chris Minns, and I, I think he's doing a good job, but he did talk about a bit of the blowout, and again, governments tend to do this, don't they? They get into mm. the last lot, left us with this big mm, budget deficit. Yep. Talk about some projects that were being worked on, the fact that one of those projects was $16 billion budgeted, but it blown out to $26.5 billion. Talked about the fact, and I've heard this from a lot of ministers, it's almost like they were given a script to read, mm. $180 billion in debt. The servicing of that debt is $7 billion just in interest alone. That's more than the amount that we spend on the police, more than the amount that we spend on a couple of different departments. So it's a big number. That's really, we heard that a few months ago from mm. the ministers to mm. basically get us ready for the budget, yeah. which we didn't think was going to be great for regional areas. Well, can you... Sort of interrupt you there is the point that uh, upon saying that though, uh, having been in Sydney for the last five weeks, uh, I tell you what, there there's a lot of money being spent in a lot of areas that have got state government in Sydney all over it. Correct. Uh, which I must admit, listening to that, that's, that that infuriates me. <laughs> well, it really does. You're going to get more infuriated in a minute because what he did say was he knows he's talking to a group of country mayors. That's mm. the, the organisation's name, so I'm I'm sure he worked that out. Mm. And he did say. We've got to fix up some of these. We've got to work at how we're going to cover those deficits and fix up some of those funding shortfalls. And once we get those sorted out here in the city, then we'll be able to come and look at some of the funding requirements oh, in please. regional areas. Oh, tell you what. <laughs> and the first thing I thought of was, you've got uh, to back the front. Yeah. Why don't you come and sort out some funding requirements for regional areas and get yeah. those things sorted out? Once you've got those things sorted out, then go and look after the city. Mm. A third of the population is out in regional areas. Mm. So, Was anyway. that the general consensus of most of the country mayors were sitting there in the room at the same time? Well, they didn't say anything there on the spot, but at morning tea and lunchtime you have a bit of a chat and I mm. kind of did talk to a few of them and a few of them did pick up on that same thing that, gee, yeah. look after the regional areas first and yeah. then you can take care of the city afterwards. So anyway, mm. that was interesting. But again, it's good to have the mayor, sorry, the mayor, the premier come mm. along there and, and talk to us. But we also had a few other ones there. Christian McBain, who's the federal member for local government, federal minister, yep. sorry, local yep. government. And we do see her a lot of things. I, I You've met her a few times. Yeah, yeah, I know Christy quite well. So she popped in only for five minutes, but she sat 
in the audience before because she's a former mayor. Okay. So she sat in the audience before and so basically it was good for her to pop in and say good day and yep. how things going and, and just a, a bit of a brief chat and I actually had a bit of a chat to Christy outside mm. just to say good day and, and just to catch up on a few little things there. We also had Rose Jackson who mm-hmm. is generally talked about as the Minister for Everything. Yes, and that's right. <laughs> and, and she talked about a range of things and yep. took a few questions there. If I had had more time to talk to Rose, I would have actually explored the possibility with Rose about drinking poo. And this is something that... Okay. <laughs> that I okay, think, Rose, heads up for next time. Let me tell you, when Matt comes along, he wants to talk about poo. Well, I, I think we need <laughs> to start thinking about this more in this nation because there was a few questions that were talking about water, mm. scarcity of water, what we can do to make sure we conserve water as much as possible. This mm. is going to be the, the big battle going forward. Mm. But if I think of Dubbo, for example, about... 70% of the water that comes out of our tap, 70% of the water that we create, that we treat as potable water, yep. about 70% of that ends up at our sewage treatment plant. Maybe yeah, not right. quite, maybe 65% of so that. So you're looking at the recycling of this water, Matt. Not, Correct. Not, not so much about simply getting poo and just drinking it. No, no. I, <laughs> I, I would want a little bit of treatment to occur before I got to that point in time. I'm glad you're feeling that way too. And That's it good. does happen yes. at different places around the world. Yes, we know yeah. that now. In different places in Australia, they've kind of done it a little bit, but not much. We're mm. that uncomfortable with it. But mm. when I think about Dubbo, if, for example, we took – so there might be – and I'm talking round numbers here, it varies from different years, how dry it is, how wet it is. But let's say we treat 10 gigs of water Mm. through our water treatment plant. That means we've got to get 10 gigs. We've got to have licenses for 10 Mm. gigs. We've got to have bore licenses or river licenses for Mm. 10 gigs of water. Mm. And then of that 10 gigs, let's say seven gigs for round numbers, seven gigs end up at our sewage treatment plant. And then we take that water from there and some of it goes to our property, Green Grove, where we grow some lucerne and some different crops there. Some of it we might get across to Roger, for example. We don't put that back into the river. That was a decision made many years ago by Mm. council. So there's seven gigs. But Mm. if we treated that at the sewage treatment plant to a high enough standard that we could put it back into our water treatment plant, so seven gigs came back, that would mean rather need to have 10 gigs of licenses and the availability Mm. of 10 gigs of water, Mm. we could do it with three gigs. So that sounds pretty good. You've got to get the community comfortable with mm. drinking poo as mm. such. Mm. But it would probably yeah, be I, I think it might need a different marketing campaign <laughs> is what you're trying to sell right now. But anyway. <laughs> might need a refinement there. But you think about it, we in years gone mm. by used to put our sewage back into the river mm. and that flows down the river and hello, there's some towns down the river, mm, there's Narromine, yeah, yeah. there's Warren, there's, there's places down there that then take that water out of the river to That's go right. through their yeah, water yeah, treatment yeah, plant. Yeah. So it happens like that and I'm sure – we can think of other examples where water goes, mm. or sewage goes into a river and then ends up somewhere downstream. Mm. Mm. But again, it just makes sense. So I don't know. I haven't. I've talked to Rose a few times about different things about water, about housing, about mm. different aspects. I haven't actually brought that one up with her. And it's only something that we're thinking about now as new that maybe, mm. and I'm not talking about doing it tomorrow, but maybe mm. we just need to start thinking about oh, that. It's time to think outside the square, as you say. I think yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So anyway, Rose came along. Jenny Aitchison came along as well. Yep. So great to see her. Uh, Dougald and... and Dougald, our local member, was there, but I I see Dougald lots, but it's good for the other members of the country mayors to actually get a chance to talk to the leader of the National Party as well. Uh, But obviously, I see Dougald on a regular basis, so I, I... and I'm not saying this in any way negative, I don't get excited when Dougs come to country mayors, it's good yeah. that he comes, yes. but but I do talk to Dougal on a regular basis, so it is good. But again, it's good that take the time to come along. And so yeah. we do see some opposition members come along, we do see some ministers come along, members of parliament, etc. So hmm. always a good opportunity to talk to lots of those different people and yeah. always a good opportunity to talk to fellow mayors. There is one conversation I had with a, a mayor 
in particular that I will talk about as we go through later because it's something mm. that came out of the council meeting that we've got to talk about. Okay. And I, I just want to talk about one part there. But again, it's that opportunity to catch up with some of the other mayors that mm. you jump all over when you get the opportunity. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Now, speaking of Dougal, sounds like um, on Saturday morning you had a chance to uh, catch up with Dougal at the community leaders meeting in Wellington. So Dougal was there and yourself and now, you told me about this last time. So Wellington does not sit under the federal jurisdiction as a dubbo of Parks Electorate. It actually sits under the Clare Electorate. Correct. So therefore, you would have had the federal representative for Clare, which is Andrew G. I think. Was he there as well? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> he did say he was going to go there, didn't he? Kind of. Kind of. Okay. All right. So so you had you and Dougal and a few other... Several councillors, yeah, okay. our CEO. So the whole idea of this, and again, I've talked about this, this is unique in the nation. Mm. Nowhere else in this nation can you go and have three levels of government side by side talking to the community in an open forum on a regular basis. Mm. We started this many years ago with the City Council. It dropped off for a while. We've re invigorated this idea. So you get, obviously in Dubbo, you get Mark Coulton, Dougal Saunders, and myself and councillors and, mm. and some of our council staff. And the community absolutely appreciates it, loves it. We said, let's do the same in Wellington, but obviously Mark Coulton's not the member, Andrew yep. G is. So we did one with Andrew G down there and we had Dougal and we had council there and I think it was very successful. Mm. And I was planning the next one and Andrew said, well, I don't think there's much value on that. I don't think oh. they're very good. I, I, I'm not really that excited about the concept. Right. So, sure, knock yourselves out, but I don't think I want to be involved. Okay, well, that's fine. Hmm. Are you happy, Andrew, that I'm still going to run them? Yep. But it just will mean that you There will be talked about, I'm afraid, is the, the line. Kind of, yeah. Mm. That was a bit of the action. And Andrew said, yep, no problems. I, I understand that. Mm. And that's fine. Well, I still sent the invite to him, just out of courtesy. Mm. I sent the invite to Stephen Lawrence, our duty MLC as well. Okay. But uh, Andrew's staff came back and said, yep, we penciled it in. I went, oh, great. That mm. means he's coming. Fantastic. Mm. And I got a, a, a negative from Stephen Lawrence. So Stephen mm. Lawrence said he wasn't coming along to it. Okay. And then about two days before the meeting about the on the Saturday morning, about two days from one of his other staff members, I got a message from Andrew G's office saying, sorry, he can't make it. Okay. I did go back and say, well, previously it had been penciled in, which I know mm. doesn't mean it's locked in, mm. but the whole idea of penciled in is you can rub it out if mm. you want to. So mm. I was hopeful that he'd still come because I see incredible value and it was a good event. It was very popular at one stage because we held it in conjunction with the Rotary Market. So mm. we had the Rotary Markets there. Yep. We had a tent. We had a little sign that said, meet your community leaders. And it was going along. We had lots of good inquiries. People coming along talking about different things. And then suddenly we saw a number of people turning up. And we go, oh, wow, this is great. It's a bit later in the morning. Word's gotten around that we're here. This is fantastic. And we had lots of parents turning up. There must be some issue with parents there. Right. And they were bringing all the kids along. And then we turned around and we saw that Santa Claus had a chair there as well. <laughs> <laughs> So, so when we're thinking, wow. Yeah, so you're feeling very chuffed and pleased with yourself and all of a sudden, oh, who's this big red bloke with this big white beard? What's going on here? So it appeared to me that there were some of the kids there apparently to see Santa, Really? Not us. Oh, yeah, yeah, apparently. Man. So anyway, we still talked to the kids. We said, here's some votes in 10 years' time. So. <laughs> That's right. But look, it was a good event and I do, uh, oh, look, I encourage Andrew G, the next one we yeah, have to come along. I, I know that Mark Coulton and Dougal Saunders will be involved in them. Mm in Dubbo when they're next mm. on here. But it's a good opportunity. And sometimes it's actually a good opportunity to catch up with each other. Absolutely. You're not yeah, in a formal yeah. meeting. You're talking to some other councillors and catch up with what's happening and yeah. what you're doing over the weekend. Well, did, did you have any uh, anyone come forward and ask any curly questions? 
Well, we did have some people come forward. Roads were still a bit of an issue. Mm. They wanted to know about Commonwealth Bridge, and I did say to one of them, make sure you listen to our podcast, and mm-hmm. you'll know yes, where that's absolutely. up to. We've There'll spoken be, about it a few times. That's right, updates on a regular basis there. Some people did talk about the Stonewall Festival that I mentioned mm. before with the funding. So there was well, it's some, getting around. That's right. So there was some discussion around that, and how can we do better there? Great. Toilets in Wellington, there was a bit of a discussion around the toilets. Do want 3D printed? No, well, they'd probably like some 3D printed ones, but the, the issue with the toilets there is that the last council took the old set of toilets, which needed to be updated, and they had a number of cubicles, urinals, etc., in there, and they replaced them with the toilets that have just got a single cubicle there. So you've only got two cubicles now. Oh. I can't remember how many were there before. It might have been, say, 10, and yep. now it's down to two. And oh. so buses don't pull up there anymore. Yeah, so that's okay. hurting their tourism. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. So that was a, a bit of an issue there. So yep. look, a, a range of topics, and, and I'm only one. So mm. people talk to me about some of these different topics, but okay. different yep. people came along. And, and look, one lady actually said to me, look, I've got nothing to talk to you about in particular, nothing burning. She said, but I love the fact that you're here. That's fantastic. Oh, that's Thank nice. you for being here. Yeah, you see, look, you know, it's, it's, it may have brought the grandkids to see Santa, but still want to say something <laughs> nice to you. That's nice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did actually have someone else who just talked about a bit of social media. They said, look, I'm really disappointed with some of the things we see on social media. I think it's a great place for an open forum and discussion. Mm. But, gee, some of the approach and attitude some people take, they, they wouldn't say that to your face, which mm. they don't. No, they don't. They that's say right. it on social media. So, look, again, just... Five-minute conversations mm. like that or mm. deep conversations about roads or toilets or whatever. But yep. it's that opportunity to be there and just yeah. really have that conversation. So when's the next one? Are we planning another one in three months' time? Absolutely, that? we will. Don't know. It's usually around working out dates, working out events that are on. I think we've concluded that they seem to work better in conjunction with another event. When we yep. hold them as a standalone event, we get people to come along. That's yep. great. When you hold them in conjunction with, say, a markets, for example. Or a Santa get, Claus visit. Or a Santa Claus visit. We'll get people who will be coming to see us anyway, mm. and then also people that happen to be there at another event and say, oh, while you're here, great, I'll go mm. and have a chat to you. So mm. I think in future, my general view is as they've morphed and developed over the years, I think holding them in conjunction with mm. seems to be a better way to go about mm. it. So, yes, we'll definitely be having them again next oh, year. that's good to hear. But I don't have a date for you, sorry. Now, speaking of Wellington, um, what's happening with the rhino in Wellington? Did we still have the rhino down there? Does no. it still exist? No, we don't have the rhino down okay, there. Okay, well, I, I, I drove past uh, the area where the rhino was, and it, it's, it seems to have gone. I thought, did you move it? Did uh, something happen to it? Like, what's happening here? Well, there was a bit of damage done to the rhino. It That's was disappointing. A bit old, but um, getting a bit um, damaged and not looking great. Mm, we want okay. to be a great representative. So we take going to that replace away. it or what's the plan? Well, that was the original plan. We would take the rhino away. Okay. We'll replace it. We'll either repair that one or get a new one made, but replace the rhino because it's nice to have the rhino there. And it leads into the zoo, obviously. Mm. There is a rhino trail where there are different rhinos and different roads leading into the zoo. Yep. But we thought rather than just drop another rhino there, Wellington's different. Wellington's a different community to Dubbo. Mm. Maybe they don't want the rhino there. So... There are there, there is a survey right now that you can go to Your Say. We've right. talked about Your Say before as a as a great way yep. to go there and get information. We've already sent an email out to the Your Say database in Wellington to say there's information there that we want your feedback on. Yep. And so we're looking at what might be there as a replacement. It might end up being a rhino. It could be a range of different things. We talked before about drywall. You could have a drywall sculpture there. That oh. might be something that okay. might yep. tie into things that are happening in Wellington. Yep. Bottom line is, if you've got a view on what should be there in Wellington, then go to Your Say, go to our on our website, Your Say, and basically fill in the survey there. Those survey results will come through. 
we'll take them to inform us of a decision. Now, there was one woman there who told me this morning and of the various chats yeah. you have to people, she said, now, Matthew, Wellington doesn't want a rhino there. And I said, well... <laughs> I've spoken to everybody in Wellington. <laughs> that's right. I said, and they're well, all telling me the same thing. You don't want a rhino there, I guess. No, no, no. Wellington everybody. doesn't want a rhino. And I said, well, <laughs> we've got a survey out there for this exact reason. We want to find out. Well, yeah. No, no, I'm telling you, Wellington does not I want a rhino there. I know everyone, and I'm telling you now, Matthew. Now, she may be... Absolutely representative of the Wellington community. Mm. She may not be. It might be her mm. opinion. But Sounds like a bit of uh, word, uh, hyperbole for me, but anyway, that's all right. It may be, and that's exactly what I thought. But let's see what Wellington, the community, has to say, mm. rather than Wellington, one person mm. has to say, and take that feedback on board. But there'll be something there. We'll replace it with something, some sort of public art of some description, Excellent. but not necessarily a rhino. Right. Now... Onto a uh, far more serious topic. Um, I see here that there was an issue, was it during the week, or might have been just a little bit before this, in regards to, well, what are the planes hijacked? And was there a hijack alert out at Dubbo Airport? Is, can you just clarify this for me? Because there's, there's a bit of a rumour spreading around that there's, there was a, a plane hijack that happened which uh, sent the airport into lockdown on the whole thing. Is, is this correct? You're you're good. You've got your ears to the ground, haven't you? Dubbo grapevine. That's how I get it. Well, it was and it wasn't. There was. So was there? There was a hijack alert for right. a plane. Okay. There wasn't a hijacked plane. Okay. So this so, is going so, so back. So someone let a, a, an alert known the fact that there's the plane's been hijacked, mm. but it wasn't but actually it wasn't. being hijacked. That's right. So oh. on the 16th of November, in the morning of 16th of November, right, I received a message to say. Be on standby. We might need some sort of urgent decision by council. Because, so you personally received a message? Yeah, because in between council meetings, if you need an emergency decision, then the mayor has the same power as council. Now, you don't use that power flippantly. You just don't say, oh, I've decided to paint the roads pink. Let's do that tomorrow. You you make, you make use that power, I suppose, in making decisions that are emergency decisions. Right. And right. even if I had a bit of time to make a decision... I'd probably shoot out a quick email to all the council and say, hey, this is what's happening, I'm about to do this. Anyone got a problem with that? Yeah. Because, again, council makes decisions. Yeah. And typically, if we made a decision using those emergency powers... So you get this alert? Well, I, I received an alert to say... basically, There's be, been a hijack. There's been a hijack. Now, right. the, if I go through a few of the details, the airport manager received, first of all, a call from the police to say there was a hijack plane coming from Orange, and it may be landing in the very near future, I'm talking minutes away, not yeah. hours away, maybe landing. So then the airport team initiated the emergency yeah. response plan, locked down the terminal, and basically gave full access to the wow. police. Wow. There was an AFP, Australian Federal Police, they had a negotiation team that basically were mobilising from Blacktown. Oh, my God. Ready to be, sorry, from Bankstown, not Blackdown, from Bankstown, right. from Bankstown right. Airport, yeah. ready to be out in Dubbo as quickly as they could get out so, here. So if you're out in the terminal at the time, if you were waiting for a plane, what you had to leave the, the, the space or they just locked you down in the space? I think they probably would have locked you down. They, wow. I don't know they would have kicked you out. They probably would have locked you down Goodness in me. a certain space. So I don't know if anyone was in the airport at the time. Probably right. someone would have been yeah, there yeah, waiting somebody for somebody a, there. Yeah. a plane. And so the whole incident was over within five minutes. Well, what they found... Quite an anticlimax. It was, absolutely right. They, in some investigation after the event, there was an aircraft that went onto the emergency frequency. Now, you've probably seen movies yes. where when a plane's hijacked, the pilot is trying to notify 
someone on the ground that the plane's been hijacked. There was one, I watched a show called Hijack, there was right. an Apple TV show called Hijack, and what they were doing to alert the ground was they were flying in a, a sort of pattern where they'd go a little bit left of where they were meant to be heading and then right. a little bit right, so subtly that the people on the plane, the hijackers, wouldn't pick up on it. But ground control, looking at this path, they went, hold on, this plane is weaving left to right. That's a signal that oh, wow. they've been hijacked. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's a frequency that's set aside yep. that's ready for... A like the hijack frequency. Exactly right. So whether or not this radio on this plane went into that frequency as a fault yep. or whether the pilot accidentally, oh, I've just got to change frequency, I'm on that, oh, no, whoops, the wrong frequency. And again, you've got to take it seriously because uh, that could be someone yeah, yeah. on a plane... They go on to the emergency frequency, on yep. the hijack frequency, and then the hijacker might know enough to say, hey, you just change that to that frequency, yeah. go off that frequency. Yeah. So they can't go, oh, well, they're off it now, everything's okay. Yeah, yeah. So all of those procedures had to occur still. So we've had to alert the Department of Home Affairs. So this is a, a, a national, this is a, as a national this security incident. But again, we notified them as this is a false alarm, oh, national security incident. So... It was interesting, but anyway, it tested. Well, the training exercise worked really well. Spot on. It tested <laughs> our emergency responsiveness, and again, being a false alarm, obviously, that's yeah. much better for all concerned. I can just picture, though, this plane coming into landing in Dubbo, you know, solo pilots sitting in there, pulling up, here's Terry behind the wheel, pulling up, and all of a sudden, he's surrounded by guns and police, and everyone's sort of lighting up there going, what's going what's on? What's your demand? What's your demand? <laughs> well, I demand to get off I the plane. I'm looking for some right. KFC for lunch, man. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's good that we can laugh about it now, but it oh. might well have been a very serious All's well that ends well, eh? Yeah, exactly right. Ah, now back to Wellington. Uh, during the week you had, uh, well, part of, of course, the uh, the council meeting, the regular monthly council meeting was on. Uh, you're in Wellington this week. Now, there's a bit of stuff there, but this one particular area I want to talk about today, Matt, rate rising. Now, are we up for a rate rise coming into the next financial year? Yes, definitely. Okay. You will have a rate rise, but will it be above the normal rate rise? Yes, and that's probably the next part. Are we going to be stung with one of those you know, other Lithgow Council type thing of a 56% rate rise? Because there was a bit of talk in the community that we're looking at some sort of ridiculous rate rise. So this is the special rate variation. Now, this mm-hmm. has been discussed at Council. We've gone through, we've had consultants in. Let's look at our financial sustainability and all the rest of that. Now, one of the things that we've got to talk to the community about is, would you like to pay more for your rates? Well, everyone says no. No one says, let's mm. pay more for something. I don't mm. know anyone that, that contributes more than they have to. Yep. Would you like to pay more for rates or would you like to have a reduction in services? Oh, hold on. That's now a different question. Mm. Do mm. I want a reduction in services? No, I don't. Well, that's fine. But no to a rate rise and no to a reduction in services, mm. you can't have both. So which one do you want? That's a long conversation with the community and lots of feedback we want from the community. One of the things we were talking about was the possibility of going for a special rate variation. To do that, you've got to go out to the community, talk to the community, tell them what you're going to do, Mm. go through, have that conversation, et cetera. Then by February, the beginning of February next year, 2024, we would have to inform IPART that we're formally applying for a special rate variation. So IPART is? The Independent Pricing and Regulatory Tribunal. Okay. Yep. And this is is New South Wales version of that that Mm -hmm. says – we can set the prices for different government organisations. So they might set pricing for electricity prices, for example. So mm. there's different processes they have in place. So, so well, like a regulator, I suppose. Correct. Exactly right. 
back in 1977 it was, that Neville Rand was the Premier of New South Wales. Mr Cardigan himself. <laughs> that's, that's spot on, that's right. And the that government, Neville Rand's government, introduced this concept called rate pegging, where mm. IPART, and IPART didn't probably exist back then, but the government, if you like, or some independent body, set the rates, how much you could lift the rates by each year. If you want to go above that, you've got to put a special rate variation, an SRV, into IPART and say, we want to increase the rates above what the rate peg will be. We want this because here's what we need to do with the money. Here's how it's going to be spent. Here's the community feedback, et cetera. If we made that application by February next year, we'd still have to put some more paperwork in, justifying the costs, et cetera. Mm. And then we would get a decision back from IPART by maybe around May, for example. And then that would apply from the 1st of July next year, 1st of Mm. July 2024. The next financial year. Correct. Spot on. Now, let me go back a little bit. So I'll get to the definite answer on all of this. That's all right. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm enjoying the history lesson here. I'll, I'll draw it out a little bit. When we look at inflation for the last three years, you had 6% 6% was the all-group CPI for the 2022-2023 financial year. Yep. Previous year was 6.1% inflation. Previous year, 3.8%. Mm. So inflation has been running fairly high. Mm. And then IPART, in their rate-pegging amount, you may remember at the beginning of 2023, when, or wasn't the beginning, maybe yep. around that sort of May time frame, when IPART made their announcement, with the back of 6%, 6.1%, and 3.8%, they made the announcement that the rate peg for all councils across the state was going to be 0.7%. Yeah, maybe you're talking about this. And, of course, that put council in a very difficult situation. If you've got your cost running at 6% increase every year and the only way you can increase that cost is by getting a 0.7%, I've got a feeling that's going to be a negative situation pretty quickly and services are going to have to drop. Either that or you just keep running at a deficit, which yeah. you can't do forever. You, you get to the bottom of your bank balance right. eventually. Councils across the state jumped up and down. This is... Terrible, how we possibly run councils, mm. appealed to IPART, appealed to the government. And then the government came out and said, okay, well, sorry, IPART eventually did. The government obviously had a bit of a word to IPART. IPART eventually came out and said, okay, when we said 0.7%, we meant 3.7%. What? So, th- so the rate peg became 3.7%. How can you say that? <laughs> What's that? So the rates that went up for demo residents right. across this financial year, so the financial year we're in now, 3.7% increase. And it doesn't mm. mean that everyone's went up by 3.7%. The rating pool, mm. how much money we collect from rates, mm. went up by 3.7% overall. The other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that in the for the last financial year, in that year, for this financial year we're in now, so in February this year, 17 councils made an application for a special rate variation. Okay. And, and so part of me says... If you jump from 0.7 to 3.7 because people say that's wrong, mm. when you've got 17 councils in one year alone mm. that are asking for a special rate variation, and wait till I tell you some of the amounts, mm. Strathfield, 92.8%. Oh, cumulative. Now, that's not over one year. That's over multiple years. Mm. And the cumulative amount, so it obviously compounds. Those rate increases compound on top of themselves. Queanbeyan asked for 64.3%. Mm. Armadale, 58 Walker, 57.7. You mentioned mm. Lithgow. Off the top of my head, I think Lithgow were in the mid-50s, maybe mm. 56%. Yep. Yep. When you've got 17 councils asking for rate increases of those quantums, when you've got 0.7 jumping to 3.7, yeah. everyone in the industry said, this is broke. Yep. The system is not working. You can't have variations like that. You can't have all of these ridiculously large increases without somewhere saying that the system's broken. Mm. We, when we looked at what we would do, we said if we were going to do it, we would probably have to look at 10% a year for four years Mm. to get to where we needed to be financially. And the confusing part about that is 
it's ten percent. It's not ten percent above the rate peg. So depending on what the rate peg comes in at, mm. it might be four percent, five percent, six percent. But it was ten percent, and that's what you've got to do if you did a special rate variation. Mm. So we put that out to the community briefly and said, "This is what we're thinking of maybe doing. Yeah. If we did, we'd have to do a lot of consultation from November through to February. We'd have to make that application to IPART, satisfying ourselves that we had a good enough conversation with the community, yeah. and obviously satisfying IPART as well." That was the vote that went to council yep. on the Thursday night council meeting. Do we want to do a special rate variation for next year? Okay. And in the end, councillors voted no. Right. There's not enough time to really put everything together. What they did do... Are they still okay, though, with the fact that they're talking about wanting you know, 10% extra? Are they still going to be financially okay? No. And this is the problem. Mm. We can't go on forever losing funds. What we've got to do is adjust something. So the resolution from council was... Don't look at it for next year. We don't think there's enough time, but consider a special rate variation for the following financial year. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen, mm. but what that gives us, council, councillors, the team at council, the opportunity to do is to spend a year having a conversation with the community to say, here's what it means if we don't put the rates up, here's what services might mm. be lost. Here's what it means if we do put it up. If you want lots of new shiny things, we could put the rates up even more. That's really up to that conversation with the community. So the resolution for council was don't do it this year, defer the considerations till the following year. So where do we stand now then in regards to rate pegging? So we'll get to that in a moment. Good okay. question. Oh, all right. But the other two parts of the council resolution was that we also develop an organisational sustainability review and improvement plan as part of our development of the 2024-2025 operational plan and budget process. So basically, what are we doing to improve our finances more so than just, no, oh, put rates up. Hmm. Who cares about that? Now, we've already been doing work on that now. Isn't that a regular thing you normally do anyway? Absolutely right. Any any business, any organisation will be yeah. looking at their expenditure. And the third point that came out of the resolution from Thursday night was that the CEO provided a report to the March meeting for next year to compare the staffing levels from Dubbo City Council and Wellington Child Council. What were the staff levels then? basically at the time of the amalgamation, mm. and what are the staff levels now? How do they compare? Now, I, I'm going to give you my gut feeling on those numbers right now, mm. and I'm not saying these are accurate. I'm saying that our staff will get the numbers and do a report and we'll have the accurate numbers in March. But these are my guesses, and as to why, and I'll tell you that as well, but back when council was amalgamated, my guess is that we had at council about 308 staff. I'm talking about full-time equivalent staff. Yep. So that was what WC Council had. At the time, Wellington, and obviously I was mayor of WC City Council when we were amalgamated, so I've got mm -hmm. a bit more of an idea of numbers, so I'll be interested to see how good my memory is from mm -hmm. seven years ago. Test yourself there. Well, you do have a pretty good memory, mate. So I will back you in on this one. Well, thank you. Well, don't do it yet until you see March next year. But Sports then, bet right now. Then What's the price? Wellington Shire Council. I obviously didn't have as much to do with them because I wasn't the mayor of Wellington. Mm. But my guess would be there were probably 90 staff there at Wellington. Okay. So probably 398. Let's call it so around about 400, 400. staff. Our staff at the moment, my guess is about 467 is oh. what we've got in full-time equivalent. Even despite the amalgamation? Despite the amalgamation. Is so you should be, for this? You should be more efficient. This is mm. the thing. Mm. There should be efficiencies gained. How have we increased numbers? Now, again, I don't know that we have. I'll be interested to see the data, but my gut feel is that we have. And in that seven years, I think we've had more compliance we've got to do, mm. more regulatory processes that we've got to undertake, mm. and I think more expectation from the community and what we are expected to do, hence the increase in staff numbers. I hope we've gained some efficiencies along the way, but I think there would be some increases in staff numbers because of some of these other expectations on it's, council in general. It's an interesting situation, though, because you're talking here about increased staff numbers, but the 
I suppose that the amount of money that's been coming in to, to fund the increased staff numbers and all of that has, has been less than inflation. Um, so this is, I suggest, causing a bit of a problem financially. There'll be a bit of financial strain on it, I suggest, all of that. There is, yeah. So, so, so can we get back to the original question then in regards to where do we sit now in regards to rate rises for next year? So then we look at, so no special rate variation. What will happen is that IPART will make a decision with a rate peg and they've actually come out early with this rate peg announcement because there's a new methodology. Mm. Everyone said it was broken. The local government industry said it was broken. IPART actually came along to a previous country mayor's meeting. The chairperson of IPART, yeah. or might have been the CEO of IPART, came along to a previous country mayor's meeting and gave a bit of a process or, or a, a bit of a, an undertaking that they would look at the methodology and we're actually doing it as we spoke and mm. a few questions from the audience as well about how broken it was. So they've come up with a new concept now where they look at all 128 councils. I'm sure they don't look at them in granular detail, mm. but look at a, a few indicators there. And so they come up with a base level of rate pegging, rate amount that people can put or councils can put their rates up by. Then they have some other factors. They have a superannuation factor, a, an emergency services level factor. You have a population growth factor. So you've got a few other factors that feed mm. into that. Yep. And they've just come out with the announcement about the methodology, a 228-page document about the new methodology. A bit of light reading at night there for you. Exactly right. Yep. But more importantly the rate peg amounts for next year. Mm. Now, with those rate peg amounts, it's quite interesting. Let's call it a core rate peg plus a population growth. The core rate peg factors other things into it. The core rate peg ended up being anywhere from 4.5% to 5.5% for different councils across the state. Mm. And they've broken that up into metro, regional and rural, and they've broken up some of those other factors I mentioned a moment ago. Mm. And then on top of that, the population growth factor, and the population growth factor varied anywhere from 0% to 2.7%. Right. So you've got some fairly yeah. different factors in there. Yep. Now, where Dubbo came out on that, Dubbo was in the grouping that was the 4.5% with the various factors there as yep. the base rate change, the core rate peg amount. Mm. And then the population growth factor, I thought, was quite fascinating. So they gave Dubbo a 0.5% population growth factor. Now, that's a positive in that it gets to the indicator that Dubbo's economy is strong our growth is strong, there's an expectation there'll be more growth here mm. in Dubbo. Now, I say that with a, a slight tinge of disappointment for our residents because if I'm a resident paying rates, I would love 0%. I'd love rates to go down, thanks mm. very much. Mm. So I take on board the fact that there are cost of living pressures, no doubt about that, for our residents out there. So while I'm happy about some increases in our rate pegging amount, I also take on board that that means that rates are going to go up for people, which is a bad thing for mm. the average person out there. They don't want to pay rates. No. But from our sustainability perspective... But if we want to keep having the services we have right now, yeah. there, there's a cost. That's right. That's exactly right. So I did a bit of a comparison. I looked through the list of 128 councils to look at a few different things there. When I compare us to other councils, I often look at other Evo Cities councils. Mm. So we've got Wagga, Armidale, Orange, Albury, Bathurst, Tamworth, and obviously Dubbo, the seven Evo Cities. Hopefully that was seven, I just rattled off then. And so with those <laughs> seven Evo Cities, mm. the whole idea of those seven Evo Cities got together in the first place is because we're all very similar. The size of our population, the growth factors, the facilities we've got, they're all very similar. So it's a good comparison. Yep. When I looked at the population growth factor for those, Dubbo was the highest of those. So 0.5% oh, okay. was right. the highest of those. Yep. And even the final rate pegging amount, yep. Dubbo was equal highest in those. So if right. I rattle off some of those, 
Wagga and Dubbo both had a 5% rate peg. Yep. Then you had places like Armidale, 4.5%. So their population growth factor for Armidale was 0%. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah. So Armidale was 45 Orange was 47 Albury was 4.7, Bathurst was 4.8, and Tamworth was 4.9. So Dubbo, from that point of view, sitting in front of those other fairly big and uh, popular cities as well. And again, I think most of that is, and it's certainly looking at the data, yeah. most of that was on our population growth factor. Yeah, right. So when IPART analysed all of their metrics that they look at, yeah. obviously as part of that, they looked at our population growth and the potential we've got for good population growth to be the highest. Well, what I find interesting about that is the fact that IPART has recognised that. Yeah, that's right. And so I think the methodology is better than it was. Is it mm. perfect? Probably not. It's the first time they've rolled it out, but mm. it's certainly closer to our inflation and certainly better. Now, what's good about that is mm. that if it was 0.7%, then hitting people with a 10% rate increase as a special rate variation is pretty tough, a lot higher than everyone else. When it's 5% as the rate peg amount, well, it's getting up towards that 10%, not mm. quite there, but Maybe in the future, if we can get 5% of a few rate pegs at 5%, maybe there's not as much pressure on us mm. to do a special rate variation. So we're saying now that the uh, the rates will increase by 5% next year? Correct. And, that, and okay. again, not every individual rate will go up by that because mm. it does vary with the value in general, the That's value right. they put on your unimproved property value. Yep. We can change rating levels across different categories, different uh, zones, if you like, in, in Dubbo and Wellington. So that can be different mm. as well. But- What's important from the state government's perspective is that the total rate pool can't go up by more than 5%. And again, just a little asterisk next to that, obviously when new properties come on board, those rates can increase the rating mm. pool. So it's a complicated calculation that we have to do at council to say, right, the rate pool can only go up by 5% yep. based on all the existing properties, year-on-year comparison, but it might go up by more than 5% with those other new properties we've got coming in. Yep. So it's a complicated process, but... The feedback's been good from the community so far. We've had some emails coming through from various members good. of the community. Good. But ultimately, 5%, and that's a good indicator for strong growth, even though I take on board mm. the increase in rates, which will put more pressure on mm. cost of living for mm. everyone out there. So interesting well, discussion. Well, it, is an, it is an interesting discussion. And look, it's, it's a long way to get around to the answer of the 5%. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it, it's, it's worthwhile going through to sort of to see the history behind it and how we got to this point today. And so I suppose from any resident out there, remember last year, guys, we went up 3.6%. This year we're going up 5 So it's an extra 1.3% on, on top of what the normal rise had been the last 12 months or so. Exactly right. I'm at uh, watching some of the discussion there uh, from the council meeting. I noticed the fact that uh, an interesting area got raised about e-scooters. Um, are these? Uh, was this meant to be on the agenda first and foremost? And was this something that uh, council looking at implementing? I know there's been we've had a little bit of chat over the time in regards to it, but is this part of uh, the way forward for for Dubbo e-scooters? I'm all warm and fuzzy that you watch the council meeting. Oh, that's so nice of you. Thank you. Look, I, I sit in Sydney a lot in those motel rooms and it's it's pretty quiet. And <laughs> it's, it, it's, Look, there's only so much Netflix a person can watch, to be honest. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And then it gets to council meetings. That's right, sure council meeting. Good... I knew I was going to have a chat to you this week and I thought, look, I better have a quick little uh, zoom in and see what's going on. So it's an interesting one. And this is one of the really important things that people, councillors need to make sure they understand it, but the community needs to understand as well. Councillors make decisions. Mm. Staff don't make the final decisions. And I've heard people in other councils, even in previous councils, saying, oh, the staff did that. Well, no, you 
had a resolution of council that you put your hand up and voted for, or the majority of council voted for, you made that decision. It might have been in a staff report, it might have been a recommendation, but you've got the power to change that. Mm. And it was an interesting discussion we had with this particular one. In November 2022, there was a bit of a discussion around some things involving e-scooters. We talked about mm-hmm. potentially being part of a trial. There was a trial being talked about from Transport for New South Wales. Yes. I went down to Western Sydney and rode some different e-scooters from different suppliers. So lots of talk about that. And they were still developing their guidelines. And it was a bit frustrating because they couldn't work out how mm. to do it. They couldn't work out whether it was government first or the providers mm. first, whatever. That discussion, yes. But one of the things that came out of that discussion that went through to a council meeting was that we should also look at e-bikes. Mm. E-bikes, surely hiring out e-bikes around Tracker Riley would be a great idea. So in November 2022, we, as a resolution of council, asked the staff to go and investigate further about e-bikes and the possibility did council need to go and buy some e-bikes and hire them out? Did mm. we need to have a business plan to recommend people do it? What was the case? Mm. So that was a resolution. Our staff went off and looked at that, and what they found was that the caravan park that council owns, as a complete coincidence because NRMA runs that, mm. but they actually already have e-bikes you can hire okay. right now. So staff went off, they went to, did some investigation, looked at yep. a few different things, and it came back and they said, well, we don't really need to do anything because e-bikes are already on hire from the caravan park. But then they put in a point two about that recommendation that went to council that basically said, and while New South Wales government's sorting out their guidelines, we should wait until that's all totally finalised before we do anything with e-scooters and wait till it's in part of our community ser- community action plan, you know, our, our community strategic plan going forward. Mm. And so we talked about that at council and said, well, we didn't ask for that. Mm. We didn't. There was nothing in that resolution from November 2022 that said, give us any way forward with e-scooters. We already had a recommendation there. We already had something on the books about e-scooters. We were still dealing with the government and waiting until they get themselves sorted out. So we don't need that. So it ended up being a bit of a discussion at the council meeting about e-scooters when they didn't need to be. It Mm. it was never asked for. Mm. And so that part of the recommendation from our staff was knocked out. Mm. So the recommendation about e-bikes was the only thing that went forward. Mm. But I will actually mention, now that you talk about e-scooters, there are a couple of things about e-scooters. There certainly were trials talked about, but normally you would get permission from the government to do it because e-scooters are illegal. When you see someone out on Tracker Riley right now on an e-scooter, it's illegal. Yeah, right. Anywhere in New South Wales, except for a couple of parts I mentioned a moment, that you see an e-scooter being ridden around, they're illegal. And I I do see occasionally when I'm riding my bike, I'll see an e-scooter go past and I'll go... I had plenty of them zoom past me uh, in Sydney there during the week. And that's what someone mentioned at the council meeting, that they almost got knocked over one in Sydney. Uh, They're crazy. Pain in the backside, to be honest. They're illegal. And, And so this is the thing the government is trying to get to the stage where they get something ready that will make them legal. Now, we said at the time when we were talking about it last year, the government needs to give us permission to do a trial and do a trial on a certain area, and I'll come to that in a moment. Mm. But once we get that, then there's different providers out there that are trying to get our business. Companies like Bird or Neuron or Mm. Lime is another one, uh, Beam is another one. There's a number of them out there. And so logically you'd think, well, let's get permission to do it first. And then once we've got permission, then we'll need to find a provider and go Mm. through an EOI process. Mm. And then the government at one stage said, no, 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 you need to go and get an agreement with one of those providers and then come to the government. But why would I go and waste the time of mm. council and of the provider if we're not going to get permission? Mm. Oh, you get permission. So it doesn't matter what it looks like. Oh, no, it will need to look right and satisfy our criteria. Which comes first, chicken or the egg. Like. Yeah. So it was very frustrating. Yeah. And in the end, it was getting close to a new government or an election. So they went, okay, let's hold off on all of them. Mm. And now the new government, and I've talked to some people in Transport for New South Wales, they're going, no, the new government's in. Micromobility is important. We want it to happen. So let's get it cracking again. Now, they've already got two trials up and running now, which is fantastic. Mm. They've got one in Wollongong and one in Armidale. 
And I mentioned before country mayors about different conversations you have. Perfect opportunity. I went over to the Armadale mayor and I said, hey, you've got some e-trolls running, mm. sorry, some e-scooters running on a trial in Armadale. How's it going? What's happening with it? So you get that direct feedback yep. from someone on the ground, which is fantastic. But one of the things I want to say to people is that we didn't change anything in terms of our resolution of council on Thursday night. Any recommendation about e-scooters was removed. So the previous resolution we had was still sitting there. And I suppose I want to go a bit further than that. What we were looking at with e-scooters in terms of a trial was specifically around Tracker Riley. Mm. What There's a few of us that have a belief that mm. say that e-scooters on Tracker Riley would be fantastic. From a tourism perspective, we always talk about keeping people here for an extra day, one extra night in a motel, good for our economy. Having the novelty of riding an e-scooter, given the fact that they're illegal across the state, apart mm. from Armadale and Wollongong mm. in certain areas, mm. they're illegal. And actually private e-scooters are still illegal in those places. It's only the higher e-scooters that are legal. And there's a reason for that, which is part of the technology. So if we had a trial around Tracker Riley, get from the CBD at CBD out to the zoo, fantastic. Lots of good positives there. But when you're using the higher e-scooters, there's a few things. First thing is they're geofenced. So if I've got a trial set up for an e-scooter around Tracker Riley and I go, ah, this sounds great. I'm going to run down the main street along the footpath and knock over old people mm. walking out of banks. Which is like it was with me uh, the other day there in Parramatta Road, yeah. Exactly right. Mm. But they're geofenced. So as soon as you go outside the area, and they're very accurately geofenced, as soon as you go outside that area, it stops working. Oh, right. So then I've got a heavy e-scooter with a big battery in it mm. that I've got to push from Tracker Riley up to the main street to push along. Well, I'm going to be able to run or walk faster than <laughs> right, I can push that okay. thing because it's heavy. Yep. So that's the first thing. Mm. They're also speed limited. And and people say, oh, that's easy. You can just go faster. No, you can't. Mm. And when I was down at that trial at Western Sydney, and I've ridden e-scooters all around the world, and I've mm. seen that they're, they're speed limited, but what was really good down there was I was showing off the speed limitation capabilities of mm. these e-scooters. So they had an area around where the e-scooters were and you could deal on one and ride there. They were limited to 10 kilometres an hour in that area. And then as you rode out there, they had a path that you could go around mm. and they kind of had a little sign there to say, from here, the speed will increase to 20 kilometres an hour. Oh, okay. And literally, you yeah, rode along, yeah. you had your accelerator flat, yep. fast you could go, and you're watching the speed at 10 kilometres an hour. You got to that spot where you could go faster, oh, 20. And, and then when you came back, you went past that line, it went from 20, oh, ah, back down to 10. Okay, right. So they're very accurately speed limited on, again, geofencing mm. where it says mm. in this area you can go faster than that, in this area you have to go slower than mm. that. And they also know who's riding it. So Mark Barnes hires one at 11am on a Saturday morning, rides crazily around Tracker Riley, mm. limited to 10 k's an hour, yep. and you run into someone and you don't care about that person, you keep riding on, ah, oh, who cares about that? We get a report through from council if we did have scooters in place and we could go back to the company and say, can you tell us at 11am at this location, who was riding this scooter? And they yeah, say, right. oh, on our records here, it shows Mark Barnes was doing that. So very easy to knock on your door and say, excuse me, you knocked over a little old person walking down mm. Tracker Riley and uh, you've got to you know, basically take have some sort of... Uh, Please explain. Yeah, corrective mm. action. I was going to say, but you probably wouldn't get corrective action. But, mm. but some sort of outcome from that. You yeah. don't just go, oh, it doesn't matter, I knock someone over and yeah. away you go. So with all of that, if they... if And the trial is in place where... If it's on a shared path, so we're talking about Tracker Riley here, mm. they're speed limited to 10 k's an hour. Now I know you run faster than 10 kilometres an hour, so you can oh, literally run past one of these. I, I, in my day, I reckon I could have done. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the first part, if yeah. you like. If they're on roadways, not on footpaths, they mm. would be illegal on all footpaths. If we wanted to do them on roadways, so down the main street mm. of Macquarie Street, or be able to get kids up to 
the hospital where they're at university up there, wherever it might be, then on a road, and they're only on roads that are limited to 50 k's an hour, then the speed limit is 20 k's an hour. Mm. Now, again, they're, they're kind of saying it's a bit like a push bike. Mm. Push bike can ride along a road and push bikes go faster than 20 k's an hour, mm. but they're limited to 20 k's an hour. You try and go up on a footpath, mm. it'll stop working. Yeah, right, you okay. can push it at best. So all of that in mind, yep. now again, I'm saying all that because I think e-scooters are a good idea, mm. but the first part, if we do go ahead with a trial, which again, we're not at this stage, no. but if we did – we would first of all go for Tracker Riley as an obvious place from a tourism perspective. Mm. And, and I have spoken to various members of Transport New South Wales you and various that. members of government and saying that this from a tourism perspective, and, and they've said, yeah, it'd be great to test them out. They're being trialled in other locations mm. as a micro-mobility transport option. Mm. But again, from this, you'd be testing them out from a, tr- a tourism option. I know one of the only uh, sort of questions I'd have in regards, I know that people sort of raise this in regards to the e-scooters and the e-bikes. Uh, if you use Tracker Riley, I know this is all sort of hypothesising, you know, we, we're not quite sure what the sort of the end result could be, but um, one of the big concerns people have is the fact that they could be tossed in the river or they could just be just dumped there in the middle of the track and, you know, and all those sort of things. People are walking along and these bikes and scooters are sort of sitting there. What would be the response to that? So you've got a company, whoever you might partner up with, and you, you would choose one company. We'd go out through an AI process and we'd choose one company. You don't want to have lots of the e-scooter companies. It's not big enough, Dubbo, to justify that. Some places do have multiple mm. different providers. But you choose one company. So you pick one company. Let's call it company ABC. Now, they – there's no company called ABC. Just, <laughs> just I'm making up a company Everyone's there. Everyone's sort of mad looking up ABC. <laughs> right. That company has paid, I don't know, $2,000 mm. for each e-scooter. So they're not keen on having them thrown in the river and sinking to the bottom of the river. Mm. They're not keen on having them tossed in the river and floating along the river. Mm. So they will put steps in place to try and limit that. Now, part of that is, again, that geofencing. You're on track riding there. To get from the edge of the track with that geofencing, you're not going to be able to ride it down to the river. So you have to pick it up and drag it down to the river. Mm. You're not going to do that that often. Sometimes people get a bit drunk and do silly things. As a drunk, you start dragging that down there. This is too much hard work. I'm mm. going to go and kick a, a garbage can over or do something else that's destructive rather than that. So it's in their best interest. They, When you get off an e-scooter, you take a photo of it to show where it is. So if you just lay it down in the middle of the path, then you take a photo, it laying down there, then that e-scooter company is going to say, no, you can't leave it like that. So mm. you're going to get something from them. So you'll stand up. Now, there's nothing to stop people coming along and kicking them over. Mm. But again, if you get this sort of behaviour, there's nothing stopping people now going and painting things along mm. the path in Trekker Riley bad behaviour, but should we not have something in place for the 0.1% of people who will be silly, be idiots, mm. who do or, or have bad behaviour, what about all the other people that will use them in a positive way? So yeah. the the companies do have processes in okay. how they get them from a river when they are tossed in a river, because it does happen. Mm. Companies do have pla- procedures in place to stop people being silly with them. Those companies might even say to council, can we set up our own little CCTV here Mm. to actually capture when people come along and do that and then we can take some action. So I think you would find that in general that behaviour would occur from time to time, but in the main, the companies still obviously think it's worthwhile Mm. to put them into a place. And they typically drop in Armidale. When I spoke to the Armidale mayor, he said that initially they put 300 into Armidale Mm. and then they wanted to judge how they were used. They wouldn't put 300 in Dubbo just for Tracker Riley, mm. but they would still put enough to keep them going. Mm. And again, if they started losing too many, they would say, well, this isn't working for us. We've got to take some steps to fix it up. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's, at this that's stage, all, yeah, we're nothing not at that has point changed. Yet, are we? That's nothing right. has changed. Yeah. That's right. So the discussion was there, but nothing has changed. Now, speaking of change, though, um, very quickly, Wheeler's Lane Stage 2 is about to happen. So this is the... Uh, 
the work that uh, I know stage one was being done up there a few months back on Wheeler's Lane. It looks though like stage two is about to take off this week. So um, what are motorists going to have to expect? So we've got some preliminary works for stage two. It starts on Monday the 27th of November okay. and about seven days to complete these preliminary works. Now it's not mm. perfect in terms of timing because it's coming towards Christmas. Mm. So this will be the northbound lanes on Wheeler's Lane approaching the Mile Street roundabout. So they'll be closed and we'll have some details in place. Mm-hmm. But again, this sort of timing is only some preliminary works and only for a week and then open up again. The major works will happen next year. And if you remember yep. Wheeler's Lane before, that was closed for a some major works there and closed for a period of yeah, time. Yeah. So all I'd say to people that do use Wheeler's Lane, in particular the northbound lanes there. But it's only for a week for the prelim work this week, isn't correct. it? Correct. Just okay. have some extra time up your sleeve. If you're mm. going there and you know you've got to go along that way, have a bit of extra time up your sleeve because you might have to detour up around Douglas Mawson Drive, okay. for example. So keep that in mind. But again, we want to fix the roads. We want to get those roads done. Everyone wants the roads in perfect condition. But in terms of getting them there, we sometimes have to close roads to do that. Absolutely. And of course, uh, speaking of other things coming up this week, new citizenship ceremony is going to be happening, and that's going to be on this Tuesday. So uh, I know we've spoken at, at length a, a number of occasions about uh, the wonderful nature of these citizenship ceremony ceremonies and uh, how how often we are having them too. So this one's coming up this week. Um, what sort of numbers are we expecting at this, and is anyone invited? Everyone's invited. Everybody's invited. So come along and jump in and enjoy this. Correct. Tuesday at 4pm at the Debo Regional Theatre and Convention Centre. We've got, I don't know the exact numbers, but about 35 is typically... It's a pretty good constant number, doesn't it? it absolutely yeah. spot on. So it seems to be rolling on those numbers. We'll talk wow. about it more in a week's time, but mm. about 35 is typically what we have. And again, as I said before, a bit like Dubbo Day, it's a very uplifting experience. It's something where everyone's so excited, so positive in the room. They do love being there as part of this and it's a big decision mm. to become a citizen, to move to another country. Absolutely. It's a big decision to become a citizen of that country. Wow, that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And it's be a citizen here in Dubbo as well. Absolutely right. So mm. you'll have family and friends that come along to support people in that decision. The whole room, and again, let's say it's 35, you'll end up with at least 70, maybe 100 people in the room. Mm. And again, the whole mood in the room is just so positive. Mm. So come along if you can. I love it when people come along and just hear or, or meet some of these people. And I mm. don't get around to all of them, but I try and get as many as possible and just say, what brought you here? Why yeah, are you here? Yeah. Tell, tell me your story. Yep. And it's there's always a fascinating story, always an interesting story in the mm. background of that. Mm. So come along if you can, if you've got the time. Then so I'd this Tuesday you. coming up, 4 this o'clock, Tuesday, DRTCC. That's right, Tuesday at 4 p.m. at the DRTCC. So that would be the 28th, would it? Is that Tuesday the 28th? It would be Tuesday the 28th Brilliant. of November. Brilliant. Well, mate, it's got to that time. It's time for the Limerick of the Week. So, I ask you every week, what have you got for us this week? Yeah, it's a serious issue, Mm. but it kind of ended up being not so serious an issue. So, I thought I'd try doing a limerick about hijacking. Because it is a bit funny when you think about what <laughs> yes. happened. And again, I, I've the got hijack you have when you don't have a hijack. That's right, the Clayton's hijack. Uh, sorry to all those listeners under the age of 50 mentioning the word Clayton. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but does Clayton still exist? Is it? Oh, I haven't I, seen. I, I don't know. I haven't, I, I, I haven't yeah. seen a famous Australian actor advertising Clayton's for no, a long time. No, it's been on many, many years. <laughs> but I, and again, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about my decision to go with a hijack this week. Yeah, I go for it. Because sometimes you take a serious, which it is a serious topic for people that have ever had this experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. But I just thought it was a bit... Oh, it's worth it. Right, here we go. At Dubbo's airport, a frenzy began. 
as it was said that a hijack was the plan. But there was no terror, it was just a radio error, and the pilot was not a bad man. Oh, well done, buddy. I like the fact that you've managed to bring in a, a topic that can be quite serious and you've put that little comical twist on it. Well done indeed. Complaints to Mayor at Dubbo. That's right, yes, not to w. me, but to the other bloke sitting off the microphone. <laughs> well, folks, that just about wraps up again for Straight From The Mayor's Mouth. Until next week, take care. Straight From The Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. <laughs>